So my friend Michael Scott, he says that the most important part of a speech or a sermon is the opening line. And when time is not a factor, he likes to try out three or four of them. And seeing how today time is not a factor, I thought in the spirit of a new year, I'd try some new things. So here we go. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, tell the person sitting next to you, or in front of you, or in behind you, however you want to do it, your New Year's resolutions. Ready, go. You can shout it, Jason, because you're just with me, buddy. Dude, that's a Tim McGraw song. No, 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 wait, that's a, um, uh, uh, who is it? Better Man. I can do this. Little b- Big uh, little big Town. Yeah, and I did it. All right, all right. Now tell them which one you're recommitting to because it's already January 3rd and you've messed up. Just kidding. Well, it is good to see everyone. Can't believe it's 2022. Time really flies, doesn't it? How many of you still got your Christmas lights up? Yep, you know, Taylor Swift says we can leave the Christmas lights up till January. This is our place. We make the rules. That's from the hit song Lover. So technically, if your lights are already down, are you a Swifty? No. And a quick Google search will tell you that you're even more than a Swifty because officially you don't have to take those down until January 5th or 6th. But really, we all know who is the one authority on all things Christmas lights. No, uh, Pine Street, bro. Pine Street. You live in like Rancho Cucamonga. You don't know. Pine Street. Yeah, they, they'll let us know. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Bobo Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit. Who knew that a character that was only on screen for about six and a half minutes and had four lines of dialogue would become as popular as he is today? But now we know how he got out. And for each one of us who have been waiting since 1983 or the first time whenever we saw Return of the Jedi, we now have peace. And I would guess that through all this series, all our questions will be answered, and we have got that going for us in 2022. Yes? Really, I could do this all day. I've got a lot. I wrote one for Hawkeye. I wrote one for Matrix, Spider-Man, Fortnite, the Harry Potter reunion. I could talk about things for a very long time until I found one that I think we could have a consensus that like, yes, that was the opening line you should have said. And really, I did all this because this reminds me of the Gospel of John, which has so much in it. You know, it's been said that the Gospel of John is loved because of its paradoxical combination of both simplicity and depth. John, the gospel of it, has been called a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. Stories that are so simple that even a child comes to love them, yet statements so profound that a philosopher can fathom them. It's why many people recommend the gospel of John or choose it as a book of the Bible to read first. Or if they're looking for a book of the Bible to read to begin the new year, many people choose the Gospel of John because it's a gospel that you can keep going back to again and again and never have to put it on the shelf away or find time to read it. It's just so good. You always find something that you didn't see before. And so today, to start our new year, we're going to spend some time looking at just a section of chapter 1 in John's gospel. And it goes without saying that when you preach on John, there are a lot of options for themes and messages and truths that you could preach on. So I tried to get rid of that in the opening sentence, and I'm going to try to focus us today. So Bible's out if you got it. We're looking at verses 6 through 18. Otherwise, they'll... uh, They'll be, upon, be behind me on the screen here. And now chapter 1, and since we're picking up at verse 6, 
I just want to give you a recap of verse 5 because I don't want to rob you. I know how much you love verses 1 through 5. John starts this gospel not at the beginning of the birth of Christ and ending at its ascensions like so many of the other three do. Instead, he writes in a way that gives us a, a glimpse of what Jesus did and said, especially while he was in Jerusalem. Mainly what we see are seven signs and seven I am statements. The Gospel of John is what gives us a very intimate look at Christ and who he was, the very Son of God. And the first five verses speak about Christ Jesus being the Word of God and with God in the beginning. Jewish rabbis often referred to God in terms of his Word. They spoke of of God himself as the Word of God. And in the mind of ancient Jews, the phrase the Word of God could be used to refer to God himself. For Greek philosophers, they saw the logos, right, the word as the power that puts sense into the world, making the world orderly instead of chaotic. The logos was the power that set the world in perfect order and then kept it going in that perfect order. They saw it as the ultimate reason that controlled all things. And so in his opening five verses, John is meeting Jews and Greeks right where they are at and saying, for centuries, you've been talking and thinking and writing about the word, the logos. But now I will tell you who the logos truly is, Jesus Christ. And John states that Christ has brought life and light into the world and that the darkness of this world cannot overcome Jesus Christ. And so after those five verses, we're picking up at verse 6. Bible's out. Here it'll, be, here it'll be on the screen behind me. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, this is not John, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote the gospel, but rather this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's work was surprisingly and remarkably well-received at the time and was very widely known. So it was very important for John the author, that as he was writing his gospel, to make it clear that John the Baptist was not the light, but that he pointed towards the light, bore witness to that light. If you do a little reading and come across a story in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul actually encounters people who are called disciples of John. They received John's baptism of repentance, but didn't yet know of Christ Jesus, or at least didn't believe in him and had put their faith in him and been baptized into his name. So the author, John, here is establishing that John the Baptist was focused and deliberate about bringing people to Jesus the Messiah more than just trying to tell people to be good or to repent, but to see and bear and come to know Jesus, the light of the world. And yet we also see something here that I think is very meaningful for the beginning of our year. The matter of John the Baptist being a witness is a very serious thing. Actually, the matter of anyone ever being a witness is. You're establishing truth and giving ground for faith, especially like in a court of law where truth is needed. But witness here is doing more than just saying that a person is speaking truth. If you are a witness, you are committed. It commits you. If I take my stand in a witness box and testify that such and such is the truth of the matter, I am no longer neutral in this matter. I have committed myself to whatever it is I said. 
And here we find that we are to commit ourselves to Christ Jesus and to become living witnesses to his work in our lives. I wonder, as I started with my sermon and I asked you to tell me what your New Year's resolutions were, where did I want to be a great witness for Christ fall on that list? John the Baptist bore witness of the light that through him some might believe. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became one like not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. To the strong, I have become strong, so that to all people, by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. I would challenge you as we start this year to commit yourself to being a witness for Jesus this year. What does that mean to be a witness for Christ? Simply put, I want you to do just a few things. I want you to be able to tell, tell why do you, why do you personally believe in Jesus? Why have you put your hope in him? Then I want you to be able to tell me what basically Jesus did. I believe in Jesus who has done this for me. And as I read the Bible, I see that he has done this for the world. You finish that by then inviting that person to take a next step. As a witness to Christ, I want you to tell me why you believe in Jesus. Tell me what he has done. And then take the hard step of inviting someone to come and see. Now, don't make the mistake of making this witnessing about Jesus all about what you've got to do. When you focus on the, the what and the how, you forget the why, right? The why is the most important place. So start there when you're writing about the hope that you have. Because we bear witness because the Lord has chosen to commit himself to you. I'll say that again. The Lord has committed himself to you. Through his death and by his resurrection has assured that nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus. That those who have come to place their faith in Jesus, have been baptized into his name, have been born again, are now even called children of God. And we see in the verses that follow the truth of that, right? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came, that, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. That doesn't mean that everyone is saved. It means the reason why you were born into this world with any love or care or goodness is because of the light of Jesus Christ that he has given to the world. And you have been called to share that love, to point others to that light. You see that in the text, that it says the world did not know him. 
that in so many ways is strange, that he created the world, but it didn't know him. More than being strange, it's just sad. The people that he made in his own image don't recognize him. This is why we do confession at the beginning of our service, because the fallen human nature wants to reject God and his light. I mean, he came to his own. That's John talking about the Jewish people. But for them, it's a little bit different, isn't it? What does it say there? His own did not receive him. I would imply that they knew who he was. And when Jesus tells that parable of the bad tenants there in the end of Matthew and Luke, they don't kill Jesus because they didn't know who he was. They kill him because they didn't want him. Friends, we stand like Stefan talked about at the beginning of this service with a choice, a choice to commit ourselves to following and knowing Jesus, to growing closer and stronger in faith and love through the work of the Holy Spirit that draws us to him, given to us in the word of God. Or we can deny that and walk away from that, not receive that. But look what comes to those who receive him. Yet to all who did receive him here in verse 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, Katie, will you throw the next text? Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The right to become children of God. John is not interested in hiding spoilers here. He's quick to point out that some reject Jesus, but some also become children of God through a new birth, through being born of God, like Jesus tells Nicodemus in chapter 3. See, John tells us right away that the end of the story is not this tragedy of rejection, but it is about the grace of being accepted by God. God has accepted you and made you his own. That is the same for all of us. Our lives and stories are being woven in to the story of Christ Jesus. And they will not be finished with rejection, suffering, and loss and emptiness. Yes, each one of us will experience pain and hurt. But we have been received and so have the grace of being chosen and being told the truth that we are children of God. We get to experience the overwhelming love and steadfast faithfulness of God to us. For those that have come through the Holy Spirit have come to put their faith in Christ and what He has done for them and what He gives to us. Not born of blood. You don't get to be a child of God by blood. doesn't matter who your ancestors were or whether you had a priest in the family or a pastor. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christians or your kids are. You don't get to become a child of God by blood, at least not by human blood. Not born of the will of flesh. Maybe somebody dragged you to church and said, hey, you're going to come and do this. Don't become a child of God by that way. You don't become a child of God by your own will, saying, I'm just going to get my life straightened out here, and then I'll become a child of God. No way. You must be born of God, through faith, through baptism, 
by coming and receiving what he alone gives, receiving his grace, his gift of love through Jesus, God's gift of forgiveness through his death, God's gift of eternal life through his resurrection. And as a child of God, you receive a new life to live in the now. Friends, that is the hope, the truth that we have. That's why on January 2nd, at the beginning of a new year, we carved out time to come and worship the Lord because he has made us his children, little ones of God. The image there is a parent picking up and holding that child, holding them close, drawing them near. And look, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. He drew near to us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John the Baptist testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known to us. Matthew gives us that perspective from Joseph. Luke talks about shepherds and Marys, but here in the Gospel of John, we've got this unique look at the relationship between God, God the Father and Son, and like I said before, there's so much here. I could preach for an hour on this. But that's a Christmas sermon. And I plan on preaching until Christ comes back or doing Christmas sermons until I retire. So I can't give it all away right now. Now I know what you're saying as you're nodding your head. What about that whole leaving the Christmas lights up? Let's keep Christmas going. Fair enough. So I will close with this about grace and truth. After directly quoting John the, uh, the Baptist, the apostle begins witnessing on his own witnessing to the incarnate word and the fulfillment of God's saving plan. Teaching us here that the two greatest gifts that God has given us, right? The law, which was given through Moses, is now continued and fulfilled in the grace and truth that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a relationship that you're supposed to understand then as like, okay, the law was bad or what? No, 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 no. It's continued. If the law is good, Christ is better. The better is the direct living encounter that we have with the Word made flesh. The fullness of Christ Jesus is His being everything that God is, only that He is distinct from the Father. And because of their relationship and the relationship that we have in Jesus, we receive grace upon grace already given. God's grace to his people from the beginning with Adam and Eve to you and I and all those who will follow is continuous and never exhausted. The grace of God knows no interruption, has no limit. That's why it says fullness. Not a little bit or some here and there or in an emergency, use some grace of God. Full, full and spilling over into your lives. And as we start this new year, it is the grace and in the truth of Jesus Christ that connects us to God and to one another. 
For our God has come to us, friends, dwells with us. His presence surrounds us, and He invites us to come to Him and experience His life, His light. And in Jesus, He has been fully revealed. God has come close to you. We do not seek God. He comes to you. You can see Him, hear Him, Touch God directly. Can know God. And I don't know about you, but that's what I need this year. To know that God sees me, loves me, and is with me. You get to know and to experience the love of God. And that bubble fit. God out of the silent pit. That's huge. So as you get ready for this new year, reflecting and pondering on all the new possibilities, all the new directions, the breaking free from all the old habits, and start building your life this year. Friends, start first by remembering the grace and truth that defines you. The grace and truth of Jesus Christ that you have received in full. And answer the call to bear witness to the light that is Jesus. For you, You are his child, and you are loved.